Hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, a podcast in English exclusively dedicated to the Commonwealth Libertadores, which, as we know, is the greatest, most unpredictable, most beautiful, prestigious competition in South American club football and indeed the world, of course. And this week, myself, David Windsor and Mr. Oliver Wilson discussed all things to do with the round of 16 second legs as we really do focus in on the sharp end of the tournament. First and foremost, Ollie, I must apologise to you and our listeners because my audio quality this week is not quite up to its usual precise best due to a misplaced cable. And so I don't usually have my, I don't have my uh, short microphone. And as I was just saying to you, Ollie, I, I'm going to blame that on the, the hedonistic post-pandemic London summer where there's just a lot of socialising and chaos and, and I've got you know different things in different parts of London at the moment there's, there's an awful lot going on I'm doing a Boca Juniors I'm blaming everyone but myself and my situation but but there we have it but hopefully in this little bite-sized pod uh, before the quarterfinals it was um it provided some value because that, that was a nice little chat Ollie, and you were very patient that was uh that was a very long-winded way of saying I was out on the piss and I lost my XLR cable from somewhere or something. But uh, look, we all make mistakes. I'm in a I'm in a post-vaccine fuzz at the moment, so look, I'm sure I'm not. A, I would never say that I'm that entertaining anyway, but I'm definitely not at my fluid entertaining best when it comes to this week. And thankfully, I think my woodenness on the podcast today just highlights how kind of undramatically dramatic the round of 16 was of the couple of Dodores this year across two legs and particularly this week and I'm just hoping that with the next game and the final game to play in this round of 16 will provide like some real kind of fuel on the fire to reignite this tournament again and we'll find out like early August what's going to happen with that. I think if people can find it in their heart Ollie to forgive Marcus Rojo for lifting up a fire extinguisher and threatening to attack members of the Atletico Monero team with it. You can, people can, our listeners can find it in their heart to forgive Windsor and his um, less, uh, you know, his kind of suboptimal audio quality today. Right, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, we discussed the last 16. There was a, there was a little Goodwill hunting reference in there. There was a little teaser towards the quarterfinals. And as always, plenty more besides. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the pod. <laughs> Takes it down, takes the strike on, and fires Boca in front. Might be a second one here for Bruno Enrique. Into the bottom corner, double delight on the night for Flamengo. Decisive from 12 yards, and the Brazilians are well and truly in the driving seat now. This is McAllister to go. It took an inflection. You can't take it away from the debutant. Yeah, maybe the only logical place to start is the image of Marcus Rojo in the corridors, in the tentacles of Atletico Mineiro Stadium, with a fire extinguisher lifted up to his shoulder, ready. I don't quite know what for, but just ready for action. Of course, I'm talking about the aftermath of the Atletico Monero. Boca Juniors game where, where Atletico Monero went through. I mean, I think, Ollie, that you can compartmentalise thinking it's disgraceful that a player's picked up a fire extinguisher and there was tear gas and chaos and like all these chaotic scenes. I think you can, can compartmentalise that as a, as, you know, as a broadcaster, as a, as a lover of sport, but also see some kind of humour. Is that OK? I think it's okay, yeah, he... except for Marcus Rojo. 
like there's the image obviously with the fire extinguisher, but it's it's the video of the punch. Like it is a full on knockout blow to uh, some common ball exec or whoever in a suit he or got, some security guard, whatever. I mean, he he's swinging for the fences like an amateur bare knuckle brawler in a in a pub car park, and that's the ugly thing. Like the 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 standalone kind of some of the images are quite humorous and like oh my god this is so cliche South American, but when you see actually some of the video footage, it's like what are we doing here boys? Like, look, VAR sucks. Some people love it, some people hate it, but it's correct who loves ultimately. It? Sorry, who loves it? Well, I'm sure there are officials. <laughs> Uh, there must be someone that loves it. I personally haven't met them, but I guess there are some people that, that love it. There are, there are linesmen that love it because it gets <laughs> them out of jail on dodgy decisions and stuff like that. But ultimately, it's correct. And, and you can be frustrated, but you've got to grow up. You, like this is Children don't act this way and they get reprimanded and told off. And, and what Bocca did, and, it, and if there was, as, as Bocca reported, they were goaded into it because mm. there were Atletico Mineiro kind of club execs kind of calling out things to them and stuff. That's unacceptable as well, but you cannot react in that manner. You know, I you saw the footage of it with like metal railings in the air and we've just been bemoaning England fans for being disgusting hooligans outside Wembley with that sort of thing. These are the guys that are actually on the freaking field getting paid thousands of pounds a week. I mean, it's just, it's unacceptable. It's, it's obviously, it's a... obviously, like it's obviously unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. like, you obviously, you obviously can't just go around like, <laughs> Trashing a stadium, people. Like, I mean, I know what you're doing, Ollie. You're 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 laying the very obvious foundations that everyone always does, saying like, we don't want to see these scenes. It's unacceptable, quite obviously. And and I agree that like Marcus Rocco picking up a fire extinguisher is one thing, because actually that kind of people around him were like, whoa, that is a gear shift, and like he put it down <laughs> quite immediately and in a very odd way. The kind of him lifting up the fire extinguisher, but actually like calm people down because they were like, whoa, whoa. Oh, it's getting like, real. It's getting real. That, that's like. <laughs> third to fifth very quickly but i agree that the minute someone hits and like you can't like hitting someone it's 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 violent it's assault it's a crime it's illegal you can go to jail for that like it's not acceptable i i i completely agree with that i'm just saying that like i think you can have the conversation and separate the two things of being like that is wow that is a circus and i guess on some level kind of entertaining but also that's just like disgusting behavior there is there is a great element of humor in that there's the well only in south america does this happen like mm. you don't see tear gas being thrown at players in a lot of places in major tournaments, particularly in the equivalent of the Champions League. It's just not really happening. Under <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not frequent. No, it's not frequent. But um, but I mean, you... it is semi-frequent in because it happened when Boca faced River. What in 2015 was it? Sure, sure. So it, it, it's not the first time in the last like six to seven years that this has happened. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean chaotic scenes indeed. But uh, oh, but Ollie, you're recording my audio, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool, cool. Just just had a just had a moment of uh, thinking. I no, no, it's be, all good. <laughs> you you got it. We'll leave that in. Um, just because to show Windsor's calamitous uh, preparation for this podcast, right? <laughs> let, let's let's talk about kind of aside from the the chaos, Ollie. Like ultimately, I took two things from this. I don't think Manero went through the penalty shootout and we could talk about the penalties that won and lost it. But Boca Juniors went out. They've been poor all tournament. They still haven't won it since 2007. Uh, they went out. But Atletico Mineiro over two legs, they needed two, you say correct, 
I mean, they were 50-50 VAR decisions and huge ones to go their way to sneak through to the quarterfinals. I think that gives their... I don't think that will have inspired an awful lot of confidence. This is a terrible Bocker side, certainly in relation to the last three years that we've been watching them, or two or three years that we've been watching them. So it's a terrible Bocker side. They went out. I don't think Avenero went through, but I don't think they'll take much more from that than the fact they went through. No, no, not at all. They, uh, For all the impressiveness that they handled the group stage, this round of 16 hasn't exactly flourished for Atletico Mineiro. Maybe that's because they were playing Bocker. You know, Bocker aside that... Mm will certainly stifle teams that want to play that fairly free-flowing football. They're a difficult side to break down, but it is unimpressive. And it kind of, it knocks the the seesaw back down again because I was late to the Atletico Mineiro kind of party. I didn't really see what some people were saying. Um, and then, okay, I got on board with it, got on board with it, got on board with it. And then suddenly these last two performances again, bring me back down to the, yeah, I'm, they're just that little bit too far off the, the best in Brazil and, and the best in this tournament at the moment. I mean, it wasn't a great second half, uh, second leg either. Like, you know, size created very yeah. few clear cut chances. It all was down to the, down to the penalties in the end. The, the Vigan goal, I mean, it's ruled out. It's, it's a correct decision. It's one of those ones that we've been getting angry with in, in English football for, for months on end of like tiny fractions on the lines. And, and you understand where the frustration comes from that. The the fallout of this game is going to be more important than anything else. And I, it doesn't make me think that Atletico Mineiro are going to do go much further in this competition myself. Yeah, I mean, the penalties were terrible as well. Yeah, Izquierdos' penalty for Boku is just, um, I mean, it's just absolutely woeful. And then Averson scores the, the Atletico Monero goalkeeper, Averson scores probably the greatest penalty ever scored. Like, I agree they were terrible up to that point, but the, to smash it in as a keeper from that, you know, yeah. he might claim he's me- meant to hit the top corner in that, in that fashion. I don't think he has. I just think he's walloped it, but it's, it's crashed into the back of the net and they go through. In terms of the fallout, Ollie, yeah, I mean, Boca Juniors, they've had to play, I think, five games in three days with like a bunch of youth players now off the back of this. Um, you know, clearly there's going to be comparable sanctions because you, you, you can't behave like that. Um, and Miguel Angel know, Russo kind of backed them though. There was very much yeah. a, we all leave together. Like we don't, if if one of our players gets held behind in Brazil on any sort of charges, uh, he kind of said, if one of our players doesn't go, we're not leaving, which was kind of odd. And so, yeah, there was this air that like Boca are backing themselves in this moment, which I know there was some tit for tat in the build up to it, but without a doubt, Boca are at fault in this. The pictures don't really lie for the kind of the uh, the aftermath that es- escalated and i think maybe this is going to as well yeah Rikelme yeah as well you know he he was quite it's not like he said look we we're boca juniors we're this massive football club things have happened that we disagree with but we completely don't um accept behavior like that from my players <laughs> that was certainly not the line from him <laughs> it was it was something pretty radically different so yeah as you say that that was um you, yeah, everyone, the world's against us kind of thing do you think there's a big picture thing about this says a lot about the kind of club that Boca are at the moment i think it masks an awful lot of problems i think Boca aren't very good and not just they aren't very good they've been getting gradually worse now for for two and a half years right you know, so that that's a huge problem. And I think sometimes in football and in life, everyone does it. You look for 
excuses and reasons outside your own domain, right? Like if something's not going right in your life, it's so much easier to like look at other things and like blame other people or other situations or bad luck or whatever. But to actually look introspectively and be like, we're not very good and we're Boca Juniors and we are so far away from the big Brazilians. You know, we, we might not win another Libertadores until we scrap this squad and start again. So, you know, I haven't quite answered your question there, Ollie. Is it a reflection of Boca Juniors? No, but I think it's certainly... Um, a chaotic situation that if Boca aren't careful, they will indulge themselves into believing that it's none of this is their fault. And the fact is, they're crap. They couldn't score in two games. They're not very good. That, that's what I mean, though, about the the idea of they keep saying, "Well, it's not our fault. It's not our fault. It's not our fault." And the problems on the pitch are, are never their fault. Reenactment. Little Goodwin, <laughs> Goodwin hunting reenactment from Molly Wilson. <laughs> very good. That was very good. I like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, they, I wish Boca had a, a Robin Williams around to actually force them to recognise <laughs> that actually things might be their fault because they don't address any of the problems that come with this club. It never gets addressed. So for them to then not even look at this situation and put their hands up and say, that's unacceptable. We're a big club and we shouldn't be acting like this. And for instead, the reaction that they've had towards this, it, it just screams the narrative that Boca seemed to be trying to control to make themselves always look like, well, it's not really our problem, is it? It was, mm. they started it over there. Well, the, we we went out to River, but that wasn't really our fault, was it? Because, mm. you know, they did this. It's, it just doesn't, it's very unsatisfying when they can't look and introspectively investigate themselves for the problems that they've got and make adjustments. And it's also useless, right? Like it doesn't work. It's not like, mm. it's not like blaming all these external influences uh, is helpful in any way. And also I do think it's, Fair to say that if I were a Boca fan, Ollie, I would look at those two VAR decisions. And yeah, like if you're a Boca fan or a fan of any club and those two big decisions go against you, then yeah, you are, do have legitimate reason to say, oh, that was so tight and that was so tight. Two really tight ones have gone against us. I do get that, but it's not really, you know, it, yeah, it, it doesn't tap into the core issues and, and Boca out. And, I, you know, the rebuilding job there, Ollie, is, is big. You know, it's big. They lost, they obviously lost Andrada, who went to Mexico. It was a big part of that. You know, they've still got the two centre-backs and they've, they've brought in a lot of new players now, but they've lost loads of offensive players, many of whom weren't playing great or were getting on in years. But at the same time, I, that is a hell of a rebuilding job. And if you, the thing that Boca can't afford now, I guess, is for like a Sebastian Vigia um, or Izquierdo to leave, right? Because then mm. it, it really is like, oh, wow, <laughs> we're back to square one. Now. Bare bones, basically, yeah. yeah. Yeah, wasn't a strong, wasn't a strong starting eleven going into that last one. Uh, first time Boca have gone out in the round of sixteen since twenty fifteen, and the only the fourth time in nineteen appearances in the round of sixteen that they've dropped out. So it's going to be considered a huge disappointment. This Libertadores for them, absolutely massive. massive, and it kills off our. Well, if Boca win and River win, we get an El Clasico mm. quarterfinal. Zip nips mm-hmm. that one in the bud straight away. And we're denied yeah, Nel Clasico, which is kind of nice, actually. It is kind of nice to not have that because then we don't find ourselves bigging it up as in like, oh, we had one last year and the year before that. and the year, But here we go. Yeah, so it's kind of good. I don't mind it. Yeah. Well, that leads us nicely on, Ollie, to Argentina's juniors, Neil River Plate 2, as you alluded to, River qualifying for the quarterfinals of the Commonwealth Libertadores. Um, I-, I wanted to, before we get into the game, I wanted to ask you a question, Ollie. Mm. Is... Matias, even though it's so new, is the Matias Suarez Brian Romero partnership the best strike partnership in the Libertadores? I There's was not many. Going to ask you the were same you... question. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Were you actually? 
yeah. I mean, because there aren't just it's kind of a, a false question, really, because there aren't many partnerships. You know, we talk about Fred and Hulk and Gabby Gold and uh, Luis Adriano, etc. But you know that a lot of these sides they have one focal player and they're playing maybe with the two out wide as a, as a three front man. But River are one of the only sides that have this partnership now. I know it's it's really really fresh because um, uh, Brian Ramirez just come into the football club and, and and scored a couple of goals both laid on a plate by Matias Suarez. I mean, how nice is it, Ollie, to straight away see two strikers just get each other? Mm. I mean, I, I was surprised in the first leg how well they connected together. Uh, and, and I enjoyed it. And there was, as I said last time, there were frustrating moments when it's like Brian Ramirez being too unselfish and trying to square it across to Suarez and, and whatnot. And and I think we've just we've just seen that. And again, it's frustrating for Boca fans because they just have to look across the city and see how River in in one move this summer have solved a problem that Boca have had for ages, which is Brian Romero was there to be had this year, and River have gone out and picked him up. And not only that, they've been able to partner him with somebody that completely gets him. Suarez is a wonderful assist maker. He's got yep. equal number of assists to uh, Ronnie and DRS Cayeta in the Libertadores since he started playing in 2019 in this competition, which is more than anybody else. Uh, those three share that. And Romero's a cracking goal scorer. It's, it's one of those ones where on paper, when you see them together, there's no reason why it shouldn't work. And it's completely working. It's clicking straight away. It's a joy to watch. It's really it cool. Really is. It really is. It was a highlight, of a, a highlight of what has been a pretty weak round, really, for me. That that partnership just like straight away clicking is awesome. And I think that in many ways, you can say River are a lot stronger now than they were in the groups because, yes, they had Borre before he got sold to Eintracht Frankfurt. But, you know, River had a lot of injuries. Um, and CSY wasn't really playing. It was all very disjointed. Obviously, they had the fast with... Um, uh, Enzo Perez playing in goal at one point. That, you know, so it's kind of a chaotic group stages for River where they just about snuck through. And now you look at it and you think, well, they're probably a better unit. And, and they've got kind of a solid side. Armani's a good goalkeeper and obviously Montiel we like. And, and they've got a good solid side. But the side is solid. But then they've got these two strikers who are electric. And you just wonder. I mean, I don't think River are going to win it this year. But, uh, you know, having a strike partnership can certainly cover a lot of other inadequacies within the side so you never know and River's path as well certainly in the quarterfinals looks very winnable I think with, with Atletico Monero um, not playing well against Boca I mean they're, they're not a great side so River will fancy it I mean Brian Romero 20 goals in his last 20 goals in co- 20 goals in his last 20 games in Commonwealth competition which is pretty awesome uh, he just looks he looks spectacular doesn't he it was, um, it was great to see him yeah, who knows what River can do this year. See, for me, it does change how I look at River a lot in terms of... I mean, you're the odds man, checking Bet365 every week we do this podcast to see what the uh, the latest odds are and who's going to win it. And and for me, the the blossoming partnership immediately of of these two, it, it changes how I look at how River can do in this competition. Because there were times... There are times this year already where I've thought, like, Who's the person that's going to be consistently firing in goals for them, though? It's and it's been tough to pick it out. You know that we we looked at Suarez, of course, on a couple of occasions this year already. We looked at Julian Alvarez as well as like, oh, is he going to be the blossoming one? But Romero's now got experience and is just loving comical competitions. It does it does make me think now they've got firepower that can really be difficult, and they play a different style of football because it's a front mm. two which is also more difficult perhaps because if 
if everything else is solid in the usual river system style that they do, which everybody knows in that, in that club, and then you've got a, a really impactful front too, there's no reason why they can't go to Brazil, snatch a goal away on the road and, uh, and take on some of the best in this tournament now. I, mm. I put them off probably a Palmeiras and Flamengo, but not that far, not as far off as they were four weeks ago to me. Yeah, I mean, they're third favourites to win it after the after the two big Brazilians can still get them at about nine to one, I think. But they've been backed in um, if, we're, if we're talking about the odds. And rightly so, yeah. I think that would have... Uh, that will give them a lot of confidence, I think. And I just love both of the goals. I love how early Brian Romero takes the first one when mm. it just kind of sits up and he just... So many strikers, I think, take that extra touch to just to go into the penalty area because he had the space to do it. But Romero takes it so early and it's a great hit. And then I love the seconds. It's just so unselfish from... From Matias Suarez, he's, he's only you know he's only got um, Romero in his eyesight, and uh, it's actually a really good finish because he slides in. It's not that easy, and he, it's off the post and in, and yeah, and, and River go through. Um, right, Flamengo and, four. Oh, just to say, and River yeah. were untested at the back, pretty much. Mm-hmm. I think it was one half decent Halche chance, but uh, Argentina's juniors had three efforts. So I know they're probably the one of the weaker sides in the round of 16, but that river defence is still very well organised at preventing sides from getting efforts on them. It's mm. it's a good team. It's a very good team. It's, yeah. so they're going to be more fun now to watch than at any point they were in the group stage. Yeah. And especially the two kind of sitting in front of the back line. You, you're right, Oli, about how it changes the dynamic of that river side, actually. Uh, it just means that the two sat in front of the defence, they don't need to do anything. I don't think they don't need to, they don't actually need to push on when they know they've got those two up front and maybe Nico Delacruz is going to act as that third man running. So, mm. uh, yeah, so I don't think they're actually going to concede many goals. And um, yeah, it'd be very interesting to see. Flamengo four, defence UCC at one. This was just very comfortable for Flamengo. Obviously had a had an advantage coming into the second leg at the Maracan Art. And Oli, there were fans at the Maracan Art. The first time that uh, Flamengo have had supporters at a game since March 2020. It's now nearly August 2021. We talked about it last week. You need to get fans back in stadiums. You need to find a way to do it. Um, it's never going to be 100% safe. You just need to mitigate risks and and, and make it happen because it's never going to be 100% safe. But actually, it was, it was interesting because I think you needed a negative PCR test to enter, Ollie. So they only actually got a few thousand in. But they were open to... I don't know the exact numbers, but it was certainly there was like open to maybe ten or fifteen thousand being in, and only a few thousand were in. But it could have been more. Obviously, you know, you've got to pay for the the test again. So I understand why people wouldn't fancy it. But anyway, I think if, they, if there's a nation that's going to push it, it's probably going to be Brazil, isn't it? In terms of they'll they'll be the the country that do actually manage to get fans back into the stadiums. I think quicker than most. Not that that's right or wrong or adjacent yeah. to any you know coronavirus levels it's just that they will find a way they so, will just charge even, through <laughs> completely um so that was great to see rodrigo Caio scored a great header there escarta was on fire for flamengo he scored a goal and then vitinho came off the bench and, and just showed flamengo's depth really within their squad and scored uh, a couple of really smart goals actually late on and what i found interesting and i'm purely speculating here but just from the reaction of Gabby Goal when Vitinho scored those couple of late goals and he even set one of them up, he had that kind of strikers, like he didn't run away to celebrate with Vitinho straight away. You know, if Flamengo scored four and Gabby Goal hasn't scored one, there's probably a little bit of him that's a bit frustrated, but he set up Vitinho's second really nicely. So, um, yeah, the, yeah, the, flick, can, yeah. the flick for that second Vitinho goal is really nice, but also the touch to create the space to get away from the two defenders that is mm. that are still in front of him is, is really sweet. And I remember... 
uh, when we kind of first started covering this competition intently. Vitinho, I was chatting with a couple of people in the office about how he was somebody who was meant to be far greater than he'd ever showed. And it's taken a while. It was a really good performance off the bench. I'm not saying this is his coming out party or anything like that because he's way beyond that in age now. But it was just nice as somebody who I'd read about and been excited to see. And then he'd been quite flat whenever he turned up for Flamengo in the couple of Dodores and comes off the bench and, and plays his part really well. We were denied one of the goals of the tournament, unfortunately, when Mikel hits that mm. volley and it cracks off the crossbar and Derascaeta heads it home on the rebound. And it's like, oh, yeah. funny, funny the first one goes in, you know, like you can't have everything, but that would have been nice. Uh, yeah. It's the it's the depleted defensor used to see aside. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. it's wasn't going to get much more than what he got out of them. Uh, a sloppy goal to give away as well for Flamengo. You'd be pretty Hilarious cheesed goal. off. But like <laughs> that was casual. Like it's still the knockout phase of the tournament. <laughs> and uh, you know Diego Alves is. Just, I mean, it's so casual. Just cracks it. Well, it doesn't even crack it. Just clips it. Yeah, he's trying to flick it over him or something. Yeah, I don't know what he's doing. It's so casual. Um, but he just kind of, yeah, he just hits Loiza and, and it goes. And at that point, by the way, Defence Justicia, that goal, brought them back into the tie. <laughs> so it was kind of a mad moment, but, they, you know, they can't be doing that Flamengo as the tournament progresses. But very, very comfortable. And listen, Ollie, their side of the draw, you know, Flamengo fans will take that all day long, I think, when, when, you, look at, when you look at the half of the draw they're in and their potential route uh, to the final. Um you know, it, it it really it really does look nice. We'll talk about that in a minute because Flamengo will now face the uh, will now face Olympia in the quarterfinals of the 2021. Come with all of us, into Neil Olympia, Neil Olympia won on penalties. My God, the Inter players won't sleep well because they had quite a few chances, my friend. A uh, hell of a lot of chances, but if you can't stick them away, then you don't deserve to go through. This is an Inter side that have been lacking finishing throughout this tournament this year uh, massively let down just by their performances in general to be honest uh, they really haven't looked like they've known their best starting 11 and their best way to approach football games throughout this tournament and considering they were the Brazilian side I enjoyed watching quite a lot in the first two years of, of really intently covering this tournament to see what they've become now I mean another managerial change as we mentioned uh, last week they look completely lost. And it's like losing that Brazilian Serie A so late on last year has just rolled into this competition. Uh, they're a club that are just floundering to find their feet in a lot of games. Uh, were they, had they been in a more difficult group, you could have easily seen them perhaps going out of it. Yeah. Yuri Alberto wasting chances. Um, I mean, Gallardo could have had a penalty early on, didn't yeah. get it. Then he misses a penalty. Uh Later on as well, Edge Nielsen misses a penalty in the 90 minutes. I mean, Victor Cuesta has a header cleared off the line. Olympia of... I mean, yeah, by hook or by off. crook have yeah, got yeah. through. I mean, they shouldn't have even been out the group stage, no, let they alone. Shouldn't have been. No, they shouldn't have been. I mean, it, yeah, it is crazy. Um, it is crazy. Uh, and Dallas Gonzalez scores a winning penalty and Olympia go through to take their place against Flamengo in the, in the quarterfinals. Can't I can't see anyone. Let's not talk too much about the quarterfinals because we'll do like a proper big pod where we review it. But um, mm. yeah, it's, it's hard to see, isn't it? Uh, Barcelona three, Vélez one. Barcelona going to the quarterfinals of the competition, um, and it came 
courtesy, really, the, the, the key moment in the game was Jonathan Palasa scoring with almost his first touch. He'd been on the field about 30 seconds before he scored Barcelona's third, which proved to be the crucial goal because Vélez obviously went into this second leg. A goal to the good after the, after the opening 90 minutes. And Barcelona, Oli, at home in the Libertadores, my God, they, they, they're a very good side. Very good side to watch. I do feel a little bit sorry for Vélez, uh, in particular because they're missing two of their very good youngsters who are out of the Olympics at the moment uh, and who just went out of the Olympics today as well. So they've had to sit and watch their Vélez side go out and then have dropped out of the Olympics at the group stage themselves today in uh, Francisco Ortega and uh, Thiago Almada, which is a big shame for them because they could have probably done with them. They didn't create enough chances I mean, Lucas Janssen pops up with a wonderful ball in to find Lucero to make it one apiece. And you're like, oh, we've got we've got a game here, you know, an away goal now for Vélez. And they're wandered up after the first leg. But Barca were just very good, very good on home soil, very good at controlling the game. They've got a number of ways that they can hit you, which I think is always useful in, well, in any stage of football, obviously. And uh, yeah, probably edged it in the second leg overall. I think I've, on the tie, it was quite quite an even encounter as we were kind of expecting to be honest but Barca threw 3-2 on aggregate and probably about the right side going through and it's just a nice to have somebody that isn't Brazilian going into the uh yeah it really into is. the quarterfinals <laughs> it really is no Darwin Diaz uh who was injured actually which is interesting because Barcelona you know pick up his 3-1 win without Diaz uh and I wonder in the quarterfinal if he would definitely start certainly away from home that's certainly that's a question for Fabian Bustos I think uh, mm. so he's got a big call there I think away from home I also saw Pete uh tweet in the last half hour or so that Thiago Almada is going to Atalanta United for 15 million US or something oh, like wow. that so yeah another one picked out of the Argentine um uh Argentine conveyor belt of talent and off to the MLS a well-trodden path now Big blow for Velez, although you know you spend that money correctly, and uh, and, and no doubt they'll they'll get a lot of good from it. So Barcelona will play either Fluminense or Cerro Porteño. Fluminense two 0 up from the first leg, and this the second leg of this clash was actually postponed due to a bereavement um, uh, in the family of the Cerro Porteño boss. So that match is being played on the third. The second leg of that tie is being played on the third of August. Um, which is a long way away. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange one. But but let's say let's say Fluminense get through, which bar a miracle, I think they will with the second leg being played in Brazil. On just what I was alluding to with Flamengo's half of the draw. I mean, Flamengo, they're in a half of the draw with Olympia, Barcelona, and Fluminense. I mean, that is. You know, they've earned mm. it. They qualified to the group. They, they got to the finals. But if they don't make the final in Montevideo in November, they're, they're, they should be ashamed of themselves, frankly. Like, such as the quality in their score compared to those other three sides. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Fluminense, unfortunately, you would probably say are maybe the only team that might be able to test them. And that would yeah. seem like a far stretch even then. Uh, yeah. It's... Yeah, five Brazilian teams potentially in the round of the eight. So... The odds are in their favour, really, isn't it? Mm. It's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting. Domination, um, real, yeah, I mean, real it's... domination. And and every time you see a young player taken from Argentina, like Thiago Almada, and going to the states, yes, there is fifteen million US going to Vélez. But I mean, how much of that, Oli, you know, gets paid towards this, that, and the other? 
debts covering the the gaps that the pandemic has caused in terms of fans not being in the ground and blah 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 blah, blah. so you know whereas the brazilian clubs obviously they've all been affected by the pandemic as well but you you just sense that they were already in a very, very strong position. They don't have to let go of their best players, as we've seen. It, it, we've talked about it time and time again, but it's so hard. Unless there's some kind of mad seismic shift, it's so hard not to see the next decade completely dominated by, by the Brazilian sides. Uh, speaking of, Palmeiras won, Universidad Católica nil. Could have been about 6-0. Palmeiras had so many chances. I think they hit the woodwork four times or something crazy mm-hmm. in the game. Marcus Rocha scored for Palmeiras uh, on 36 minutes. They had uh, a 1-0 lead anyway from the first leg. So pretty much in cruise control, really. Still no honey for Palmeiras. Really hoping we see him, Oli, in the in the quarterfinals. Um, uh, still injured, but but hopefully we do see him soon. So, yeah, I mean, what can you say about Palmeiras? They're, 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 yeah, they're defending champions and, and they look strong again. Yeah, they are still my favourite side to watch in this competition. I mean, again, we're denied a, a fantastic little volley from Rafael Vega, which is is saved, and then Marcus Rocha is able to follow up, and that's the only goal that was needed for Palmeiras. It's still, to me, very much a bit more of the Palmeiras reserves more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Still a few, I mean, when Gustavo Scarpa's in that squad, who, look, yeah. I'm nothing to discredit Gustavo Scarpa, but he has dropped out down the pecking order quite a lot in the last 18 months at Palmeiras. So when Scarpa's starting, you know, Zarafael's been in and out of that side. Uh, Wesley Ribeiro as well. It's, you know, it's not all guns firing just yet. And uh, again, they've got, uh, who's it in the Olympic team in Brazil that they've got as well? Is it Gabriel Menino? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And he's called to, yeah. Yeah. So the defensive midfielder, so they can strengthen up there as well. So it's, yeah, easy. I mean, Weverton barely had to make a save. That I, don't, mm. I don't think he even did really make a save. I think Catolica had like six chances, five of them off target or something ridiculous like that. Um, which is a pretty... Okay, so this was a stat that I've, I saw pulled up on, on Twitter. So Weverton has now equaled the club record wins of a player in the Libertadores. So he's had 27 wins. It's only taken him 36 games for Palmeiras in the Libertadores to get those 27 wins. That's which wild. The, the other goalkeeper that has that same number, whose name escapes him at the moment, it took him like 58. Yeah, I mean, they've had they've had some... Uh, wow, yeah, that's incredible really, isn't it? And Abel Ferreira, I know he only joined last year, 12 wins in 15 Libertadores games. Like, I know they won incredible. it last year, obviously, but still, like, that sure. is... It's the, it's the best winning average... Um, of any manager in the Libertadores that's had more than 10 games in charge. Yeah, it's unbelievable. No, that's I mean, good though. And as you say, Palmeiras reserves, I mean, still missing so many. It's, uh, yeah, frightening really. Um, the final game, Ollie, uh, I don't know, maybe in some ways some people feel as though this is the most entertaining or surprising result, but Racing won, Sao Paulo 3, Sao Paulo through to the quarterfinals. Um, yeah, well, I mean, what do you make of this one? First Brazilian side to ever beat Racing at home in the Libertadores, and very impressively too. Racing played such a high line for large parts of this game. Halfway line. That's where they play. Like they play about five yards off the halfway line. It is crazy. It's mm. a, yeah, it, it, yeah. Mental and and then they were split open down the middle so easily as well. Like you can't have both of those. 
as features of your defense, like a weak center with so much space in behind because you're going to get killed when a youngster like Marquinhos is playing and and he's got mm. the sp- the time, the space and the energy to to create loads of room for himself, get him behind and cause absolute havoc. Uh, Rigoni ends up getting two on the night um, after Marquinhos misses one and then assists one and, uh, and Marquinhos scores the other. I mean, yeah, the, those two Mar- looked really Mar- good. Marquinhos, the youngest player in the history of Sao Paulo to score in the Commonwealth Libertadores, 18 years and 104 days. And um, Rigoni is the first footballer in the history of Sao Paulo to score a brace in the Libertadores on debut for the club in the competition. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a really, nice... it's a really big result for them. Really, really big result, I think. They And they dominated the heart of the pitch as well, which was impressive because that's one place where Racing have actually scrapped really hard and they did in the group stage as well. They worked well to win the middle part of the pitch, which allowed them to... I don't remember them playing as high a line, to be honest, in the group stages as they did the other night. But uh, but it, if you win that midfield battle, you don't have to worry as much about somebody nicking the ball off you and then pinging it into the space in behind or anything like that. And yeah, yeah, Racing were just out, out tactically done in the end. I mean... Correa's goal is nice for them, but it's little more than a consolation by the end of it. I think Racing will be very frustrated and disappointed with their performance overall in this second leg because they kind of handed it to Sao Paulo on a plate. But this is a good Sao Paulo side. It's a good Sao Paulo win. They do it without Dani Alves as well, which I always wonder, like, do the older players, like a 38-year-old playing as a number 10, does that actually slow you down a little bit too much? And particularly when he's not properly a number 10. Well, I mean, you know my thoughts on Dani Alves. I I thought... Back in his, there was no bigger Danny Alves fan than me back in the day, but unfortunately, mm. time changes situations. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I haven't been that impressed with him from what I've seen um, at Sao Paulo. But but he's the figurehead, and I'm sure he brings an awful lot to the club in the dressing room and, and outside that and all that. But I, I don't think he's uh, I don't think he's he's an important player for them really in terms of pure football. So the quarterfinals then Oli, Olympia against Flamengo, Barcelona against either Sao Paulo or Fluminense, River against Atlético Mineiro, and Sao Paulo against. Palmeiras in the in the big Brazilian clash at the Sao Paulo derby, which will be um, should be a bit of a cracker. Let's chew on all that, Ollie, uh down the line. Yeah, we'll we'll discuss those at a later date. But it's not as mouth watering as it could have been. Let's put it that way. Mm. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, I think I think it would take something very unusual to have to happen rather than it being set up for that for that to happen, like it would take an Olympia or Barcelona pulling a rabbit out of the hat. Um, listen, a Palmeiras, we know what's going to happen. It's going to be a Palmeiras Flamengo final, and that's going to be fun because it's two great um, Brazilian sides, and, and, and yeah, we'll, we'll see. But uh, six yeah. Brazilian sides in the round of sixteen, and five of them get through, and it really should have been six as well. Mm. I mean, that is. I know we keep harping on about it, but that dominance on a continent. If they'd had six in the in the final eight, I mean, I just I've already bemoaned moaned about it quite a lot already. But if they'd had that, it would have been yeah too much too much for me. That Windsor, it's too much for me. Well, you better get used to it, Ollie, because that's uh, that's the future of the competition. <laughs> He 
does that in a Manchester United shirt? I mean, he never plays for the club again, I would have thought. Yeah. I, but... or, the, or, or he's just sold out the back door. He didn't, yeah, I mean, I you can't just... be picking up bars <laughs> and threatening to attack the opposing team with it. It, but when it's like when it's done in Argentina with Boca, like you do, you have to laugh about it. If that was done in England, like it would be like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, it would be like, yeah, the, 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 the person would be like in psychiatric help on Monday morning, for sure. 